I'm Liam Bailey. I'm head of research at Knight Frank. I'm delighted to welcome you to the third podcast in our 2023 season. Last week, I spoke to Lee Elliott, our Occupy Research Lead on office market trends from the perspective of office workers and how they and we will be using space in the future. This week, we're going to develop the story a little bit more by diving back into ESG themes that we touched on two episodes ago and looking at how office buildings themselves will evolve over the next few years. To guide us through the latest themes, I'm joined by Will Matthews, our very own Head of Commercial Research, and by Janine Cole, Sustainability and Social Impact Director at GPE. Welcome to you both. Hello there. Thank you for having me. Will, let's start with you. London Report launched a couple of weeks ago. I mean, a number of ESG themes that ran through that piece. Just a starter, give it, give our listeners the heads up on the key themes from the report that they should be focusing on. Well, look, I think just to sort of take a step back for a moment, I think what's really interesting is that we've been through this period of, of great turmoil over the past year or so, uh, economically, both here in the UK and London and globally. And yet we're still all talking about these issues to really largely the same extent as we were beforehand. So in the US, you know, we're talking about the Inflation Reduction Act that really has as much to do with green investment as it does to do with reducing inflation. Um, in the UK, we're talking about changes to Solvency too that are really hopefully designed to unlock uh, investment into green infrastructure. So I think the backdrop here is that this is really very much absolutely still front and centre of everybody's attention, despite the economic uncertainty that we've seen. Now, when it comes to the London report, one of the the big important things that we're talking about there is at a very practical level, the idea of obsolescence in buildings. Now, this is something that's becoming more acute all the time, day by day. In fact, we've got just under a thousand days, a thousand working days left until April 2027, which is the date at which office buildings will need to achieve an energy performance certificate of C or above if they're to uh, have new letting. So that really isn't very long. And there's actually about 7 million square feet of leases on buildings that are currently rated below a C that are set to expire by then. The basic uh, backdrop is that we're not going to be able to provide enough space really in in that time to replenish what we need. Now, we, we do talk about the social side in the report as well, and maybe we'll come on to that later. But I think just also a quick shout out for the G, the governance aspect that sometimes, you know, feels maybe less exciting. But I think this is really something that's going to rise in consciousness over the course of this year. So we've got lots of talk of changing financial regulations in the UK and around the City of London, particularly there's a potential bonfire of regulations at the end of this year. I think there's also general questions about standards in public life and behaviour, etc. And I think, you know, what that means for real estate is there's going to be a much greater scrutiny of capital sources, motives and incentives. Janine, just to bring you in at this point, so this whole sort of world of ESG investment criteria, particularly environmental and social items, is, is very much your world. Just in terms of the environmental issues, many of our listeners will be well aware that the need to reduce emissions has been a key part of investor strategies, but also in terms of occupier strategies. Your focus as a business is very much focused on that issue, but also increasingly on, I think, what is called refurbishment and improvement of existing buildings. Do you want to just talk us through quickly that kind of differential between building new green space and also the refurbishment of old space? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that GPA have been doing for many years. Our business model has always been to bring buildings in that we would call unloved assets that need to be repositioned. And so we've been doing it for many years. So that actually hasn't changed for us as a business in terms of our business strategy. We've always done some new build and also some refurbishment. But I think what we actually have found is that increasingly the magnifying glass is on the difference between at what point do you need to do a new build and the process that you go through before you can justify doing a new build. And that's something that's certainly coming through the planning regime more and more increasingly the conversation around what Marks and Spencers are going to do on Oxford Street continues to rumble on. That's been called in by the minister to review. And so I think that what that does is sort of, if you like, bring up up close to all real estate developers, the fact that actually the bar you have to step over to do a new build is much higher than it was before. And so what that does is it brings it more into a more specialist arena because there's no doubting that retrofitting and refurbishing can often be more challenging than doing a new build and and, and starting from scratch. You know, for GPE, as I say, we've been doing that for many years. And so to an extent is with it is sort of in our sweet spot. And just on that, just to sort of dive into that a bit more, I'm simplifying here, but to build new and deliver a green building is relatively easy or straightforward, but to refurbish an existing building and to make it green is more difficult some of the kind of techniques and approaches that you have learned as a business over the last few years, what are the sort of the big takeaways there? Well, so if we take 50 Finchley Square, um, which is a building that we've recently reached practical completion on and also now sold, from that perspective, it was, okay, so if the building has good bones, which is the, the way we always term it, what aspects of the building can we retain? So at 50 Finchley Square, we were able to retain the glazing, we were able to maintain the structure. It is a genuine retrofit. What that means is that the embodied carbon of the building and of the sort of, in effect, you get a new build development for the embodied carbon price of a a refurbishment, which is is what we need to be able to do, which is why it was very attractive to Inmarsat, who've taken the whole building because it was, again, it sort of played to what they were looking for from a sustainability perspective, but had the embodied carbon of a refurbishment, which was because we were retaining the structure and the glazing. There are undoubted difficulties with doing it. We had some issues that came up as part of the development, things as obscure as the coating on the steel structure that had to be shot blasted off because we couldn't get a um, paint manufacturer to guarantee it for fire purposes. And so that then adds embodied carbon to the project that we weren't originally envisaging. And so it does mean that it needs more of a, let's say, a specialist to sort of look at it because until you actually start the development, you don't really know what you're going to uncover as part of the process. You do have to be able to come up with a number of different solutions to the problems you might encounter. Similarly, at Tildenbury Square, um, we have a um, really good circular economy project. So um, Tildenbury Square is a new build, but we're taking the steel structure out and we're dismantling it with the help of Kelbray, and um, we will be reusing it in a forthcoming development in Piccadilly, which will, in effect, give us a new build development for the price of a refurbishment because we're using the steel structure from the building we're taking down in Aldermanby Square. And again, all of these are sort of innovative 
techniques that our development team have, you know, spent time researching with our consultant teams to work out sort of what is the art of the possible. Just moving on to the impact of refurbishment and also building green, Will, your team has done a bit of work looking at the premium issue. So, for example, Briam Excellent Buildings Achieving More Rent. Do you want to just give us the headlines on, on that research, just to remind us of the figures? Yeah, that's right. So we did do quite an extensive piece of research looking at around 7,000 leases in our database to try and ascertain whether there was a rental premium as you went up the, the rankings in terms of BREAM certification. And we found that there was. So it's sort of well over 10% for the very best BREAM rating. And it's really important to be clear as well. This isn't just a sort of correlation exercise. This was a quite a, a detailed hedonic model that we built to understand the components of, of what makes up a rent effectively. So we're pretty sure about that premium being there. I suppose the, the question might be, to what extent is that a premium? Because those buildings with the very best ratings are, are relatively few. And that might, would that change over the course of time? And I think there's definitely an argument to say that clearly all of the new buildings that are being created at the moment will have those kind of standards. They will generally meet those levels and certainly the kind of refurbishment projects that Janine's just been talking about would, would do that as well. So, yes, there would be a few more of those, those buildings around, but actually as a proportion of the total stock, there's still going to be a very, very low share in, in reality. So I think we've got to factor that in. The, these buildings are not abundant yet. The other thing I think is worth pointing out is that our study looked back over a period of about a decade. And I think you, you could argue at the start of that time that there was relatively less importance placed on the environmental qualities of a building by the occupier. And, and we would say that's probably changed quite significantly now. So whilst there are more buildings around with those higher standards, there's probably a greater demand for those buildings at the same time. So I don't think that having those accreditations or, or meeting those standards will be any less of a differentiator in reality, certainly not for the, the foreseeable future. And Janine, just thinking about the um, rental premium that's been established by our study and, and others, just thinking of the difference between or your experience of the difference between new build and refurb, how do you see that sort of premium playing out for refurbs? I mean, I think um, it's all about quality of space at the end of the day and the flexibility of that space as well. I mean, I think a lot of time is spent on trying to understand the green premium. And I think that actually it's always quite difficult to sort of, although you can see those buildings starting to attract higher rents, that's also because that's part of what makes those buildings prime. And I think it is working into the continued bifurcation of the market between the best and the rest. In terms of a refurbishment, if the refurbishment is good quality space, so if you look at 50 Finchby Square, again, it's an example, it's a refurbishment, but the space is the same quality as it would be if it was a new build. I mean, that was certainly in Mossat's view. They'd originally been told when they were looking for space, I believe, that what they needed was a new build, and then they didn't go to a new build. They went to a refurbishment because it gave them what they needed. And I think ultimately that's what it's going to boil down to. It's what is the quality of the space? And it's interesting, the conversation around some of the ratings, what we're finding is that Briam Excellent is almost a hygiene factor now. It has very little influence from our customers when we're talking to them. And actually, our customers are much more nuanced in their view now around sustainability than they were previously. They're very much better informed. So they are challenging us on net zero carbon. What does net zero carbon mean to you? How have you got there? 
And certainly the conversations that we had with Clifford Chance at 2 Osmondbury Square, sustainability was talked right at the very beginning. We talked at that initial stage around what does net zero carbon and operation mean, mean and what could we deliver from an embodied carbon point of view as well. So again, sort of that art of the possible, really important in that lease discussion. The BREAM rating was just a, an expectation. Let's just zoom out a little bit to the London sector as a whole. So if we think about EPC legislation, you touched on in the beginning, Will, this is the kind of the important story, I guess, as a backdrop. From April, it'll be illegal to rent F or G rated offices. The minimum standard then rises to C in 2027 and then B by 2030. We did a bit of work in the London report just estimating the, the, the potential amount of space or buildings which will need tackling. Do you have the sort of the headlines on the, on those numbers? Yeah, so effectively, it's almost half of the stock in London will, will need some kind of work to it. So there's about 280 million, 300 million square feet of, of offices in London, depending on how you measure it. And just over 50% of that will need some kind of remedial work doing to it. And Janine, you're at the sharp end. You're doing this every day. You're kind of leading the market here. You look at that number that Will's just quoted. That's a huge amount of space. From your experience in terms of the skills, the materials, the approaches required, is is it possible that the industry, the sector can actually get there and meet government targets in the time frame required? Well, I mean, I think probably it's also important to say that the government still haven't resolved the consultation about how we're going to get to an EPC B by 2030. So there's still every possibility that a C rating by 2027 may not be where they get to. So they've certainly legislated to say, well, they've certainly said within some of the white papers that this is what they're going to deliver. But the consultation about how they're going to implement it still hasn't been resolved. So that's a sort of really important thing to bear in mind because the industry needs the government to legislate and legislate now to give it some certainty. That said, there are a whole number, particularly within the London market, of real estate businesses who are anticipating this and are working on the basis that this legislation has been implemented. So that sort of C rating by 2027 and B by 2030. It's difficult to an extent, but also remember that the EPC calculation methodology has recently changed to mean that if you have a fossil fuel free building, it is much easier to hit a higher rating. So 50 Finsbury Square, and we recently did an article for Bloomberg prior to us completing the building. I mean, it said we would only get the building to an EPCB rating. It actually came out as an A rating. And that was down in part to the changing calculation methodology to credit buildings that are fossil fuel free. So it is a bit easier than it was because of the changes made to the methodology on calculation, not least because of to take into account decarbonisation of the grid. So it's important to bear that in mind. But retrofitting isn't easy. It is a specialist skill. And it's one of the things that as a business we're looking at to see at what point do assets start to get stranded and at what point will some real estate businesses start to sell out of those buildings that they don't have the specialist skills to retrofit. We're not seeing that yet. And I think that that is largely as a result of the government not finalising the consultation, sadly. Just to move the conversation on to the kind of broader ESG themes and to make a quick plug for an upcoming report we have. So the wealth report from Knight Frank is coming out on the, the 1st of March. And in the report, I wrote an article on ESG. To be fair, it was an idea which The Economist kind of floated last year, which was splitting the E from S and G, i.e. actually if 
the climate crisis is the most important topic to be focused on, that actually is it better to unbundle ESG and actually just focus on emissions, in the words of The Economist. Janine, your, your focus at work is on social as well as environmental issues. Do you see a sense of actually sort of unbundling the ESG uh, investment criteria? So I have an issue with the term ESG, but not because of bundling the E and the S. The issue with ESG is that it has started to become um, the indicator of a box ticking approach. So all about compliance and minimising risk as opposed to actually delivering sustainability. We should hope that sustainability as a term also is retired at some point, because ideally what we want is all of this to be integrated in what we do on a day-to-day basis rather than needing sustainability teams to drive this. That said, my view and GPE's view is that the S and E are inextricably linked. Climate change and emissions has to be relevant to everybody. You only need to look at the discussions around fuel poverty And what's happened where that's concerned, you know, there are many people, socially disadvantaged people who are struggling to pay their energy bills. How are we converting their homes to actually start to hit our emissions targets? And so you have to, in my view, link the E and the S together because you can't do one without the other. If you actually look at the sort of debate that's coming down the track around nature, you'll see people starting to link nature with carbon and saying that we can't get where we need to get with net zero unless we deal with nature at the same time. The same is the case for social. So I think it's kind of quite a dangerous thing to start to try and split them up because what's needed is systems thinking to address this. The actual carbon emissions can't be dealt with as a a single subject. It needs to be dealt with together in my view. Thank you very much, Janine. Neatly put. This is a huge topic, so building green, retrofitting green, and also the social um, topics we we briefly touched on. Sadly, we've run out of time. Thank you very much to Will and to Janine for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. So it just leaves me to remind you all that for more analysis, you can subscribe to our research note that goes out each Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, or for any one of our dedicated sector-focused newsletters, including our ESG newsletter, and see our show notes for more details. And please subscribe to Intelligence Talks wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you very much for listening to this episode.